Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. On a dark, cold, wintry night... I like nothing more than encasing myself in the hide of a bear that I hunted using my uh, bear hands and then starting a fire using all my enemies before drinking a hot cup of revenge. Uh, But obviously, that's a bit tricky for some of you to do. And I am all about universal ideas that work for everyone. So instead, uh, if you've got a cold bum and seek some comfort for yourself or loved ones with cold bums, then why not head to British-Boxers.com for their range of luxury casual wear, what is all made ethically and by properly paying people and doing all the stuff that I wouldn't even have to mention if the world was a better place and everywhere was run by nice types. But it's not, which is why I must seek revenge. Sorry, but... As it is, uh, British Boxers are a great company to support, not just because they're lovely people, but also because their jammies are well nice, as are their nightshirts, undergarmentals, and they've even got a section called Kids and Pets, which obviously sells clothes for kids and pets, not actual. sell kids and pets like that. That'd be weird, don't worry. Luckily, by having ears of taste and listening to this podcast, you can get 15% off any purchases at British-Boxers.com by using the code PARPOLBRO15! So go do that right now. Or you could hunt a grizzly and destroy a cartel. But I mean, to be honest, it is a lot of work. It's quite tiring. Ethically, very dubious. Maybe just buy some nice PJs instead. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that counters the Westminster sleaze by also doing two jobs, but both of which require quite a lot of work and absolutely neither of them pay. I'm Tiernan Duyeb and this week has abandoned Lilo and Prime Minister Boris Johnson says that the disappointing COP26 deal is actually a game changer. He's right as the situation has now gone from risk to cards against humanity. The world might be at a tipping point, but I don't really want to give the 1% another 5% when the service has been terrible. Here's a tip, could you actually fucking do something about climate change? The COP26 deal has been met, and the big plan to save humanity from extinction seems to be leaving it for a year and then getting all the world leaders to come back and have another go in 2022. Brilliant. Nothing like basing every single human being's future on resits by a bunch of people who treat every test like they're mocks. 
India and China demanded a change to the text about stopping the use of coal power, something that brought the COP26 president and someone drew features on a butternut squash, Alok Sharma, to tears. Probably out of relief, because he knew that now the government would be able to blame other countries for climate change and hope that no one notices our brand new coal mine and seas full of turds. The text means that where it previously said countries had agreed to phase out coal use, it now just says phase down, something that were it in a Star Trek episode would mean the villain would be merely stunned and then come back later to cause more and likely worse trouble. The Prime Minister said he doesn't think, and yes, he could have ended that sentence there, but sadly isn't that self-aware. He said he doesn't think it makes much difference if the language is phase out or phase down, as the direction of travel is pretty much the same. Yeah. I can see that. It's like if you fell out of the 15th floor of a building or you fell out of the 15th floor of a building into a trampoline. Essentially, both are the same direction of travel, but only one leaves you looking like the saddest of jam sandwiches. Maybe Johnson is correct, though, in that it doesn't matter what language is used, none of it's binding, and it could just be the case that everyone will fly on private jets to COP27 next year and say, oops, sorry, I forgot, can we have another go in 2023? And why would they bother to do something when the host nation's leader said he wants it to be unacceptable across the world to start a new coal power station while also preparing to gut a hole in West Cumbria to lug squished dinosaurs out of it and cough the fumes into the sky? But weirdos, sorry, optimists, will tell you that we must be positive, and this conference was good as it showed an understanding that urgent action needs to be taken now and that what was decided isn't enough. Brilliant. It's only taken 26 of these conferences to get them to understand it's all pretty urgent, so I reckon by COP52 they'll decide to get round to doing something while floating around at the conference that has to be held on the International Space Station as there's no longer enough land on Earth to fit everyone in the same place. It's important to look into the psyche of the world's most powerful leaders who can hear humanity's pleas to keep the very planet we live on alive, but instead to say, OK, but have you thought about how much we like money? There are only two reasons you can choose to make such decisions, or a lack of them. One is because, like some conspiracy theorists suggest, we are led by giant lizard people. Lizards, of course, would enjoy a much hotter climate than we've currently got, most can swim, and they don't really need healthcare as they can just grow another tail. Where this theory collapses, uh, sorry, is phased down though, uh, is that lizards are cold-blooded, but that doesn't mean they're completely uncaring assholes, and so it doesn't quite fit the bill. The other, far more likely option, is that those in the 1% think they're exempt from the consequences of climate change, that somehow rising sea levels wouldn't dream of affecting their beach condos, and food shortages won't be a problem as they have a small man who just delivers all of theirs. No, they don't know his name, because he probably doesn't have one, silly. He's not important enough. And so this can all be left for another year and then another, and if they're really clever, they'll just keep putting it off until it's too late to do anything about it, and then they can go back to having meetings about all the things they actually enjoy, like cocaine and selling weapons to places they've also condemned for human rights abuses. This is exactly the attitude of the Conservative Party, who seemed to think there was nothing wrong with Boris Johnson having to spend some of his COP26 speech, which was obviously meant to be about tackling climate change. Instead, he had to waste his energy and give unnecessary emissions, announcing that the UK is not remotely a corrupt country. The sort of thing that you wouldn't have to say if it definitely wasn't. But of course, it's not remotely a corrupt country because why would anyone do corruption somewhere else when they can do it all at home? Sovereignty bonuses and all that. It's not a corrupt country, though, the whole UK. Though, obviously, the bit that will have a big fuck-off coal mine shafted into it is going to be corrupted fairly soon. But what I mean is, saying the entire UK is corrupt is just sort of sharing the blame around, like was the case with Covid or debt or pollution, when 
it's not really everyone's fault, is it? I mean, you, you listening to this, is it your fault that human accordion and former Attorney General Jeffrey Cox earned £6 million in 16 years from second, sometimes third or fourth jobs, including representing a tax haven against the British state over corruption claims, spending lockdown in the Caribbean and voting in Parliament over Zoom? Is that your fault, is it? Which actually, him doing that, that is being corrupt remotely. So once again, Boris Johnson is a liar. The only way Geoffrey Cox could have been upholding his job as an MP and representing his constituents is if they'd all made it really, really clear they wanted him to fuck off and he misinterpreted it. Arguably, they did vote him in as MP, so maybe the residents of Torridge and West Devon did decide that as part of our country's necessary reparations for the slaves that were forced there by British traders, they would in turn give the British Virgin Islands their MP to do with as they wish. In a good example of nominative determinism, because he's both rotten to the core and a total penis, Geoffrey Cox is part of a tax avoidance scheme that he's failed to declare, and he's one of 17 MPs who are renting out their home paid for by taxpayers' money, while he claims nearly two grand a month for his second home at the same time. And all of that is made much worse by the fact that he's in neither of them when he's swanning about in the Caribbean, stopping more taxes get to this country which could go to his home expenses, but no, you can pay for them instead. In 2016, Geoffrey Cox claimed expenses of 49p for a pint of milk, despite being the most highly paid MP at the time. A very bizarre incident that both makes him a massive piss-taking snob that seems to have just continued throughout his career, but also at the same time as he did indeed know the price of a pint of milk, and that means he was more in tune with the public than many of his colleagues. Geoffrey Cox is by no means the only one taking the piss though, and stories of MPs failing to declare earnings are now coming out so often, it's clear they do have standards, it's just that they obviously need different ones for each and every job they do. Transport Secretary and the pitcher under snivelling piss bug in the dictionary, Grant Shapps, has allegedly been working for a lobbying group to stop his own government from building planning developments that infringe on airfields. The Department of Transport have denied this, possibly because they haven't yet seen him be capable of doing anything other than get put in the line of fire to mumble out apologies he doesn't understand. But Shaps has a history of creating pseudonyms, so there's always the chance that he's been doing this under a different name the entire time. Though also, to be fair, it's entirely understandable that the Transport Secretary would want people to think he's anyone other than Grant Shaps. What if Professor Calculus was an idiot, Nadim Zwahi was working for an oil company while also an MP, but kept his earnings hidden due to a parliamentary loophole? It did baffle me for a while when he was made Education Secretary, but I suppose with a past working for an oil company, it does mean that he's very, very expert at ruining children's futures. Another minister that was caught out last week was MP for Dover, Natalie Elphick, a woman who always looks like she's just scoffed a packet of silica gel, and who delighted in telling the real leader of the opposition, Marcus Rashford, to stick to playing football instead of politics when he missed a penalty at the Euro 2020 final. Natalie, of course, has a second job herself too, but to be fair, both of hers are in the same field of playing with politics, even though she's mostly scoring for her own team and absolutely no one else's. Nothing about Elphick's second job has been shown to breach parliamentary rules either, whereas when she attempted to influence a judge during a sentence appealing for her husband, former MP Charlie Elphick, when he was convicted of sexual assault, she was punished with a one-day suspension. Still, it was only attempting to pervert the course of justice in defence of a sex offender, so how could she be upholding British values any more than that? She's basically part of the royal family. Leader of the Scottish Conservatives and one half of the rescuers, Douglas Ross, reported himself for £28,000 of undeclared earnings as a football referee, which of all the jobs, you'd think he'd know where the line was. It seems he'd heard the chant, referees are wanker, and assumed those were the qualities you'd needed for the job. Still, it'll be useful for any team he's next officiating at, that if they can tell him he can keep the coin after the toss and won't tell anyone, he might sort them the match. 
Leader of the Commons and bitter gummy snake Jacob Rees-Mogg also failed to declare £6 million of cheap loans he got from one of his own offshore tax-avoiding companies. Of course he did. Of course he failed to declare it. This government constantly failed to do anything that would in any way benefit the country. And the only way we'll ever get a positive result out of them is if we can convince them to have openly negative targets like we will flood half the country or we will make all of you have less cash and then hope that they rapidly fuck that up as well. Many more cases are coming out in the press every single day, but here's the thing. None of those MPs think they've done anything wrong, and one unnamed minister even told journalists last week that he needed a second job as it's hard to afford childcare on £82,000 a year. Is it? Who on earth are you hiring to do childcare? Did you get told you had to hire a nanny and thought you had to pay an hourly rate for a Portuguese football player? I suppose the problem is if you pay less for childcare, then you might have to see your children in between, and then God forbid they might develop emotions and love for you, which will mean they'll never have the skills to be in government, or the 12 other jobs you can do at the same time. The average salary in the UK is £31,461, so the question is how does that MP expect other people to manage on less than half of what he gets? Or does he think pleb kids need less care as they can entertain themselves by playing in the bins in between sweeping chimneys? Maybe Conservative MPs just need more childcare because with all the jobs that they're doing, they've got even less time to look after their kids themselves. And perhaps the key would be for them to do less work than the work they already don't actually do, and then they'd have time to stare confusedly at their own kids. No wonder the Prime Minister keeps complaining he doesn't earn enough when he's got so much bloody childcare to cover. Following the fallout from what if someone dug up the future corpse of Matthew Perry, Owen Paterson's suspension, not suspension, back to suspension, resigned dance two weeks ago, there has been a lot of pressure on the government to do something about upholding MP standards, which is a bit like asking a dog who's guiltily got crumbs around its mouth to now be in charge of biscuit security. Boris Johnson said there won't be an outright ban on MPs holding second jobs, though, as that would catch those few who still work as doctors or nurses, jobs where you need a backup as it's hard to pay for childcare with claps. If MPs like Geoffrey Cox weren't helping tax havens and getting the public to pay for his subletting, then maybe the doctors and nurses wouldn't have to neglect their proper jobs and lower themselves to work as MPs as well. The government can't be corrupt, promised Kevin the Carrot's sickly relative Oliver Dowden, as luncheon meat-faced former editor of the Daily Mail, Paul Dacra, hasn't got the job as head of Ofcom. And that's an odd boast to make when the government have recently changed the rules to allow Dacra to reapply after being rejected and then replace members of the panel that will judge it with some of their Tory pals, so now it's going to be even more likely that it'll happen any day soon. Maybe Oliver Dowden just means if you think they're corrupt now, you haven't seen anything yet because Paul Dacra's going to be the head of Ofcom any day soon. And, you know, Dowden wouldn't want us to think that they've peaked in doing exactly whatever the opposite of peaking is before their very big moment. Because of all this goings on, Labour have gained their first lead in the polls in over a year, though they've done absolutely fuck all to get there except not be the Conservatives. I mean, let's face it, that is commendable, but your only election strategy can't just be wait till people get bored of that lot and realise they absolutely have no other choice. Labour are going to be the sloppy rebound party, which won't bode well for them in the long term, as the public will either want someone who cares about them or is going to fuck them properly. Labour leader and like someone photoshopped a slap cheek onto a hedgehog, Keir Starmer, says he's never been in talks to do a second job while an MP, but he was in discussion about it. I'm not entirely sure what the difference is and I'd assume they're very much the same direction of travel. However, what maybe Starmer means is that they asked him to do the job and he took so long to decide that they left and it was absolutely hours before he noticed and the offer wasn't there anymore. With the drop in the polls and this endless weeks and weeks of sleaze, could this be the 4,768th possible end of Boris Johnson's premiership? Apparently, Conservative MPs are angry with how he's handled this and see him as a liability, which shows just how out of touch they are as we realised that about a decade ago. It speaks 
or perhaps just discuss his volumes, that it wasn't fuel shortages, poo seas, 150,000 people dead, or the absolute myriad of other monumental fuck-ups that might have caused the party to find short shrift for their leader, but instead it was the possibility that he may have stopped them earning more dosh for themselves with multiple jobs. You'd think they'd be pleased though, as now all those people struggling after universal credit cuts will have even more jobs to apply for if MPs aren't hogging 12 each. Boris Johnson was told three times to wear a mask during a hospital visit last week, but he kept taking it off anyway because that sort of thing only applies to other people. There has been outrage about him not wearing a mask, but actually I think it just means his chances of catching Covid are higher and therefore I'm pleased and I really fucking hope it's third time lucky. Johnson told a press conference that it's unclear how Europe's new wave of Covid will affect the UK. In the same way for him, it was unclear how the other waves affected us, what actually happened or how germs work. The health secretary and concussed flying saucer, Sajid Javid, has made it compulsory for NHS staff to have Covid jabs from April next year, or risk being sacked, because what the health service really needs now is even fewer staff. Hey though, I think there'll probably be some MPs that are willing to take up the spare jobs if they're going. Meanwhile, because of malnutrition and poverty, scurvy cases in the UK have doubled since 2010, because the government are intent on getting things back to how they were before. I suppose rather than reclaim our seas, they're just giving everyone a chance at feeling like they're at sea instead, while reducing the backlog of dental appointments by just making sure no one's got any teeth left. In other news, the planned HS2 rail northern powerhouse extension to Leeds has been scrapped. Maybe the real plans to level up the north are to make it harder for MPs from the south to go there and come up with shit ways to spend money not doing anything for it. As the Prime Minister attended the Cenotaph on Remembrance Sunday, very respectfully looking like he'd fallen several times and been through many wars, thousands of war vets who were injured in service are being denied disability benefits by the Government Armed Forces Compensation Scheme. It's particularly bleak that in future years, Prime Ministers will have to head to Whitehall to remember those who made it home and were then killed in a battle with the Ministry of Defence. After 21 days, Richard Ratcliffe ended his very moving and very brave hunger strike to ensure the government do more to release his wife, Nazanin Zahari Ratcliffe, from Iranian prison, where her detainment was made much worse by Boris Johnson, much like, well, the world. The Foreign Office says it's doing all it can to help Britons held in Iran, which is never really anything other than admittance that they're unable to do anything because they don't really want to. To free Nazanin, the UK government would have to repay the £400 million it owes the Iranian government, which they likely won't do. What perhaps would be a better idea is to get someone from the Iranian government to offer to make a high-speed rail line, faulty test kits or an app that won't work, and Downing Street will just hand over that cash in minutes. Shell Oil are moving their headquarters to the UK from the Netherlands in a move the government says is a clear vote of confidence in the British economy. Yeah, I'm not sure clear was the right word there. Anyway, uh, it's probably though because Shell pays zero corporate tax here and our Prime Minister obviously is crude, greasy and has a penchant for ignoring mess in the ocean. Over in the US, what if Roz from Monsters Inc. was a Nazi, Steve Bannon, has been arrested on two counts of contempt of Congress. I only hope that as it happened, there were lots of people around him shouting, lock him up, lock him up. I am worried about what prison he's going to be sent to though, as Bannon will only feel at home in a right-wing terror cell. And lastly, former Health Secretary and UK Politics' Jar Jar Binks, Matt Hancock, is in talks over a £100,000 book deal on How I Won the Covid War, which presumably will tell how, like in most wars, there's always someone who does very well by hoarding all of the gold. I am curious to see the book if it goes ahead, but only because I'd have thought all the pages would fall out if there's no evidence spine. Hey, 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 Parpol Broads, another one of these, and there's not much chat time this week because, um... 
Actually, I'd like to pretend I'm busy, but I'm just I'm knackered from a weekend of gigging in Nottingham and all the driving. And then for World Diabetes Day, my blood sugars decide to celebrate by getting really high. Uh, and look, basically, it's now the beginning of the week. I'm already done. I'm already toasted. Um, how do you how do you get energy nowadays? You lot out there. I've read all the things about doing exercise, and I do that. But before exercise, I'm tired. Then exercise, I'm just more tired and now achy. So it sort of makes it worse. And I have like the, my vitamin D supplements, which do little other than add yet another thing I have to remember to take. And I'm drinking so much water that I'm basically buoyant at all times of day. What is left? What else? What else can I do to boost energy in these dark November times? I'm starting to wonder if I need to find one of those old news agents that still sells some sunny delights that went off 20 years ago and just load up on like fermented e-numbers or something. I've heard a good night's sleep works, so I'm hoping to get one of those in around Christmas time, but we will see what the family is planning. How are you getting on? You doing all right? I hope you are okay despite all the many crises. Crisi? Chrysalises? Crisps? I don't really know anymore. Um, but thank you for being here and all that. Um, I've got a slightly different guest on this week's show, and I potentially break my one parpol bro rule, but also I made that rule, so I think it's okay. Yeah, bloody typical, right? It's, a, it's part of the same political system, isn't it? It's one rule for this show and um, the same rule that doesn't really matter for this show doesn't quite work anyway i'm speaking this week to councillor matthew hulbert who is a lib dem but he promises not to go all lib demi on me and instead he tells me all about parish and town councils and why they are important yeah it's a local government one yeah it's one of those ones where i make at least one reference to bins and then the rest of the time we all go oh yeah that is actually really important we should all give more of a shit about that and pretend to know about it so i hope you like that chat jazz anyway um, that's it though I think for this week sort of in between the admin bit I've got a lot to tell you if you're in Cardiff this weekend I'm hosting the Glee Club um, on Friday and Saturday I'm doing a kids gig there on the Sunday and I'm going to be just wandering the streets in between I mean not constantly I'm going to be sleeping in my uh, probably quite shitty hotel room for some of it too oh they make us stay in the worst hotel um, but you know do come and say hello preferably at the gig I'll get very freaked out if you just shout at me while I'm buying a coffee um, and then on December the 1st and 2nd I'm going to be in Glasgow supporting Frankie Boyle at the stand i think that's sold out but it's worth checking just in case there's returns um i think that's it i think that's all that you need to know right now not much else going on uh, i'm drinking a lot of tea I'm drinking a lot of tea but more than normal i drink a lot of tea normally do you need to know that i mean how much tea do you drink yeah i drink more than that um thanks if you're part of the patreon.com forward slash purple bro page shout out uh, to those of you that still do donations to the ko-fi.com forward slash purple bro even though i never mention it you can still go there you can totally still go that's good for like the one-offs and the coffees um I'm still drinking lots of coffee as well. Hit me up there. But, you know, also go to the Patreon because that's like regular and shit. Um, bigger shout out to all of you uh, out there who want to hire me for a lucrative second job in the Caribbean. I mean, you know, morally, shouldn't take it. But also I'm not an MP, so don't really have to be moral about it, do I? And I reckon I could totally do the show from there without breaching any codes whatsoever, especially as I make my own codes and then I'll break them anyway. No one gives a shit. Hit me up. Hit me up with them offers. Right. Here's this week's one. <laughs> Bit of a different interview this week, uh, listeners. While I usually either receive your guest suggestions and hunt them down by, um, well, Googling them and emailing them and never hearing back, or, you know, I annoy people on Twitter, a few weeks ago, Councillor Matthew Holbert DM'd me asking if I'd be interested in chatting to him about all things parish and town councils. And goddammit, I was indeed, because... Despite all my attempts to understand it, I always feel like I need some sort of dodecahedron made by Harry Seldon in order to make sense of local government systems. Being a city kid, as I wang on about far too often on this show, I know. I only know the confusing world of London councils, which also have a whole load of wards and departments and impossible methods of communication, and then they only ever get in touch to tell you they're demolishing all the best bits of your area in order to sell them to a company who wants to develop luxury fire hazards on top of them. 
So when it comes to unitary district, parish and town councils, I am largely clueless. But while global leaders bicker about just how much of the world it's okay to kill off, the first level of government is a different beast, dealing directly with people's concerns about their community, local services and just exactly when bin day is. So for this week's chat, we're going to divert from the world stage and zoom in to talk to Matthew about exactly why it's worth taking parish and town councils seriously, as opposed to just a place where people tell each other they have no authority. This week's chat also does slightly break another rule of the show, which is that I vowed not to have party politicians on. Uh, As you'll hear, though, Matthew is a Lib Dem councillor. However, he agreed not to just shout campaign slogans at me, uh, and so I agreed to bend the rules this once in return. And as you'll hear, Matthew is genuinely passionate about being a councillor and the importance of local government. And after several weeks of hearing about MPs being so unbothered about their elected role that they're doing at least two other jobs, it was very refreshing to talk to someone like Matthew, who really takes his part in the country's democratic system very, very seriously. I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did talking to him. Here is Matthew. Matthew, it's lovely having you on the podcast. And uh, you got in contact with me. And when you messaged me, you said that ever since the whole Jackie Weaver thing, parish and town councils have sort of been laughed at or, or people think of them as, as, as something silly and, and frivolous. Um, and I suppose I'm quite ignorant. I sort of mentioned to you just before we started recording, I'm, I'm, I'm a London boy. I've only ever dealt with sort of uh, local councils within, you know, borough councils. Um, and my knowledge of town and parish councils is quite minimal um and so i suppose from the off you know why do you think that their you know parish and town council's work is being ignored or underappreciated well great to be with you tin and first of all and 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 great to be on your excellent uh uh, podcast um i think people do have a misconception about parish and town councils i think that there's an example that i often use which is the kind of vicar of bibley example and by the way it's absolutely one of my favorite comedies so i'm not having to go at the, <laughs> the program it was brilliant but but they did something a bit odd obviously for comedic purposes which is they conflated a church council you know which runs a parish uh, as in a church parish and a local parish council so they had good old david horton the chair of uh, dibley dibley what they called Dibley Parish Council, but it was actually really the church council. But they had him deciding on planning matters, um, which was which was artistic license as it was. <laughs> councils are consulted on planning matters, but don't actually decide on planning matters. So, and I think, you know, obviously for comedic pur- purposes, they had people on that council that perhaps ideally on a parish council you, you wouldn't necessarily uh, want. Um, uh, Jim Trott with all of his no, 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 yes, and all of that. Um, and, and so I think people have um, a bit of a picture of parish councillors as a little bit country bumpkins, which we're not that. We're, we're, we're dedicated um, volunteers, and we are volunteers. We get no remuneration at all at, at parish level. Um, dedicated to our local villages and towns, wanting to see them be better, wanting to see better facilities um, and you know, stand for election on the basis of wanting to do better for our areas. And so I think people, um, I don't think people necessarily, and why should they, have a a great understanding of what's done at county level, what's done at borough and district level, what's done at parish and town level. But actually these things do matter because we're the people that, at all of those levels, provide the most local services uh, to you. Um, and that affect your daily lives. And so that's why whenever I get an opportunity like this, and thank you to be able to go on podcasts or go on the radio or or whatever and talk about the work of parish and town councils, I do try to do that. 
is what you mentioned there because you, you are the first level of, of local government. I think it's it's called. Cool. I think that's what, I think that was the, the phrase I took from the gov.uk website. Is parish council the first level? Um, and I, I wondered. You know, it's, it's such a shame as you say that people perhaps don't know enough about them, because if you're first level, surely you're the closest to kind of dealing with community concerns. You're the, the closest to, you know, uh, to the public. Um, and does that mean that, that at your level that allows for kind of faster action on community concerns? Or does it actually mean that you're the lowest level of authority? So it's very difficult to kind of achieve changes. I think it can mean both of those at the same time. I mean, you know, just to say there are 10,000 parish and town councils across England with um, 100,000 councillors. And in total, so this is all the parish councils up and down the country, we invest more than a billion pounds into communities um, uh, across England. So a not insubstantial amount, if, if I can put it that way. Um, uh, so it hopefully means that we can react faster than any other level of government but in truth things do have to go through the council process and so that can take time um and we we don't have the powers at the moment the the principle i mean i hate it that there's this demarcation that you know uh, above our level of the principal authority the ones that really count and, and and that we somehow don't but that is how the description is at, at the moment that um, above our level are called principal authority councils um i think that's going to change i think there's going to be more powers devolved down um to parish and council level but i mean just to give you um an example Tim, and some of the things that parish and town councils do and this isn't an exhaustive list by any means but allotments, bridleways, burial grounds, bus shelters, car parks, common and open spaces, community transport schemes, community safety and crime reduction measures, events and festivals, litter bins, public toilets, um, and involvement in planning, street cleaning and lighting, tourism and youth services. So, you know, we what we do is important and serves um, our communities at the most local level. So, again, I think that's why it's important to get that message out there. I mean, so that list is everything that people really care about on ground level. Like the immediate, you know, and I know it's a regular joke about the council deal with the bins, but people really care about bins. And when bin night is, it's one of the most that those things that you've listed, bus stops and and allotments, and those are the things that people deal with every single day and are generally worried about or have, uh, you know, want want to be secure. You know, they want those things to be secure in their lives. So that that's incredibly important. And um, you know, is 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 part of the problem. I suppose that, uh, you know, in terms of engagement with people as as a kind of parish council is that, you know, at the moment, politics is very much seen as government. It's very much national. It's very much party politics. And it's all these big headlines and it's all these, you know, big issues like Brexit or the pandemic. But you very rarely get news headlines about, say, when the bins go out until it's like in a situation in Brighton where they're not collected for four weeks or whatever, you know, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. But I always say that all politics is local. I mean, when you think about it, especially in our system, is that, you know, Boris Johnson would not be the prime minister. And some might say <laughs> it'd be a good thing. But anyway, I won't get into that. But Boris Johnson wouldn't be the prime minister if he hadn't have won his local constituency. You know, all politics ultimately is local. And if he was to or if anyone, any minister of, of any government, of any political colours were to lose the confidence of of their local area they'd no longer be in power to to do all this highfalutin stuff and going to global conferences and all the rest of it and i've been thinking a lot this week you know watching watching cop 26 and i was at a 
a, a virtual regional event uh, yesterday organised by the COP26 people. And I was thinking that um, they had some kind of phrase which was um, think global at local or something like that. And I was thinking, yeah, that is, that is absolutely right. And I got the chance to say my little bit about what we were doing as a as a parish council. Now, some people might say, oh, who cares what you're doing as a parish council about, you know, when there's this great global issue and you know the 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 big polluting countries are, are basically doing nothing and not committing to anything and you can take that view and it's a legitimate view but i prefer to take the view that i can't control global geopolitics what i can do something about is serving in my local area and setting up as we did on my parish council a climate change working group which has done really positive work about um, rewilding parts of our uh, parks, et cetera, um, and looking at what energy use the parish council has and how can we make that greener, et cetera. I can control that. Um, and so I think better to think about what you can do and what you can control rather than just throwing your arms up and thinking, well, actually, because I can't do everything, I'll do nothing. I mean, there's been quite a bit sort of big push towards... Um, well, I suppose I say push, but kind of localization has become quite trendy again in recent years, kind of a- across the political spectrum, I think. Um, and I mean, but, but what's what's difficult is that there's a lot about localization and like what you're suggesting that people understand, especially with the pandemic, where communities became incredibly important and being able to help people out with mutual aid. But at the same time, we've seen 10 years of cuts to local services. Uh, we've seen austerity, particularly kind of affecting local areas. So how do those you know how do you work on kind of these local issues when we've suffered cuts like that and and surely that makes your job a lot harder well of course it 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 absolutely does and i mean one of the one of the things that i champion on on the 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 parish council is um uh, and actually just had a bit of a victory on which i can talk about in a sec but which is um the, the need for parish councils to step up and help provide youth work in our areas because actually because of the cuts that uh, county councils that would ordinarily provide uh, youth services have had from central government. They've obviously gone down their budget list, seen the things that they um, have to do, you know, statutory services, seen what um, they were providing, but which wasn't a statutory demand like the youth service. Um, why it was never a statutory demand, goodness only knows. It absolutely should have been, in my view. Um, and those are the things that obviously that have gone. Now, um, we can't we can't totally as a parish council um we haven't got the the resources to 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 totally do everything that the county council had been providing but what i was able to do it took me two years to get it through Barwell parish council because we have a very most of us apart from one are elected on a party ticket on Barwell parish council um and we're a very balanced council politically and so it took me two years to get it through um the parish council but um, i managed to secure the funding um for us to via a third party employ two youth workers to provide a few hours of um detached that means uh, detached means street-based youth work um in barwell um all the way through until february and then we'll look at the funding uh, uh, again now I was really, you know, it took me two years, had to argue the case, had to sort out the budget, had to find the organisation that was going to be employing the the youth workers, you know, had to do all of that with colleagues. Um, uh, but in the end, we got it through. And I was able to say that, you know, thanks to an initiative that I started, the youth of Bar will now have youth workers looking out for them and, um, you know, getting them to have... Um, hopefully positive and productive lives and uh, and all the rest of it so for those who i i think to be honest in and there's amongst some politicos 
there's a, a bit of a, a snobbish attitude towards parish and town councils. No, I want to be an MP or I want to be an MSP. Uh, maybe I want to lead a principal authority council. I don't want to be on a parish and town council. I, I, I think for those who do have that uh, attitude, that it is totally the wrong attitude. You can achieve a lot at the most local level for those that you serve. Um, and certainly if, you, if you're if you a younger person, and, and actually, although I'm 41, I'm, I'm young for a parish <laughs> councillor, um, but, but even if you're much younger than, than me and you're starting out in politics, I think you can have no better training than getting yourself elected or co-opted onto a, a parish and town council. I mean, that's, that's brilliant that you managed to organise that, and I think it's fantastic. I mean, I, I suppose what I wondered is, you know, are you having to find... You said that took two years to go through and get the funding for that. Are you having to find alternative ways to kind of push through the things that you're doing? Has that become harder or is it, or, you know, have you, have you noticed that it's still, it's still kind of the same methods to, to get action to happen on the parish council? Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, you know, we're looking at our budget at, at the moment. And of course there are things, many things that we'd like to do that we just can't afford. And again, as a parish council, we have the services that that we ha- that we have to provide. So you know, we have to look after the the parks. We we have to look after the local public toilets. We have to have a cemetery um, uh, that we maintain. Um, but then there are these other things that that such as the youth workers that we don't have to do, um, but which we try and find the budget uh, for. Um, and it did take me two years to get it through. And you know, um, I did have to um, halve the budget that I would, would have liked to have secured for it to, to, to get it through, which meant we didn't have as mu- many hours of, of youth work. But I, again, I'm of the view that you know, there's no point throwing your arms in the air and saying, because I couldn't get exactly what I wanted, I'm going to chuck the whole thing. You know, I was just really pleased that we have some youth work going on in my village that we didn't have before. And so I think that I think that's the attitude we as parish and town councillors have to have, whilst also absolutely campaigning at a higher level, at a national level, to say, you know, local government at all levels need, needs a proper budgeting from uh, from central government, needs to properly be recognised for what we provide, needs proper devolution and proper levelling up. It needs to be not just a catchphrase, um, useful for party manifestos. It needs to actually um, happen. Um, so, of course, you, you know, you can do the two things at the same time. You can get done what you can get done under the current circumstances and you campaign and say, you know, the, the, the cuts over the past um, 10 years. And, you know, I I'm, uh, won't go into party politics too much in this podcast, but I'm a Liberal Democrat for my sins. And, you know, my lot were, were, were in um, national government for five of those 10 or 11 years and needs, needs to take some of the blame for some of the cuts to... Um, uh, central government. Now, I'd also say that there were some good things done by that government, but you know, there was a, there were lots of things that made some of us wince as well, and the cuts to local government were one of those. It's, I mean, but there, yeah, there, was, there, there must be something nice as well that you've kind of got, as you say, control over your local area, and regardless of what happens at these national politics levels there are changes you can make to the immediate surroundings. And I think there's something that like I said, you know, I think people have become more aware that localism and community uh, issues are, there's a lot to that and, and how important that is, especially because the last couple of years. Um, and, and I was going to say, you mentioned obviously that there were, there were some good things uh, over those years. Um, I won't, I won't go through a full list, but one thing that did happen was that the um, government uh, brought in a measure to make it easier uh, to create, parish councils um i think it's only about a third of people in england currently have one um 
do you do you think that was a good measure then? And do you think that, that we need to see more parish councils everywhere? Is that a, a helpful kind of first level for people to have uh, of local government? I, I think it is. And I mean, I know that there's always a debate. And, you know, I hear it at, at my parish council from, from some of our residents. And, and I respect their view, but I just don't quite agree with it, which is that at parish council level that, you know, even in terms of elections, there should be no party politics. Now, I understand why people think that, but actually I think our democracy should be robust enough for people to stand on party tickets and campaign as party candidates, as well as independents, of course, that that, that don't stand on party tickets. Um, But once elected, and I've talked about this a lot, so, you know, as I say, I'm a Lib Dem on my post council, but, um, you know, I've talked to to Tory councillors on my council about this too, and they agree, that then once elected onto the parish council, um, you know, the vast majority of the time, there should be no reference to party politics. It should just be about getting it done. Now, do, do some of us on occasion or even probably all of us at one point or another, you know, end up very occasionally saying party political stuff. Well, yes, probably, because, you know, uh, it's just life. And we're all in, we're, you know, we've all joined political parties because we believe in those parties. And, you know, that that's just politics. But the vast majority of the time, if you were to come to one of our meetings, there'd be no um, reference to any uh, party politics at all. In fact, to be honest with you, quite often the only reference to party politics comes from the good people in the public gallery when they get a chance to to, to speak. Most of the time, we councillors, um, at, certainly at parish level, don't talk about party politics. So you know, but but I have no. But I'm also I am very proud to be um, a representative of the Liberal Democrats and in elected office. So I think it would be a retrograde step actually if ever they were to say. At parish council level, you've all got to be independents. Well, in truth is, we'd all call ourselves independents, but we'd still be members of our political parties. So it would be a nonsense. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And we'll be back with Matthew in a minute. But first... 
Despite the name, it seems the climate conference deal wasn't much cop at all. And people who'd like to be alive in the future, sorry, climate activists as they're apparently called, are saying it's nowhere near enough what needs to be done. But on the other hand, people who can't see past their own bank account and next week say, so much was done. I mean, all those people who've been told by scientists that climate change is going to destroy us finally understand that maybe it's not good and may even think about doing something about it one day. So, phew! But what is in the Glasgow Climate Pact and what have 197 countries signed up for? Well, the main pact, as you probably know, was about keeping the Paris Agreement alive because that was six years ago and absolutely no one's bothered trying so far. With any luck, in 10 years, everyone will agree to keep the Glasgow Agreement alive again as the Paris one had got torched and there's no longer any point in doing that. The Paris Agreement, as you probably know, is to keep global temperatures from going any higher than 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels by 2030. So as part of this pact, countries have been asked to revisit and strengthen their plans for 2030 by the end of next year. They previously didn't actually have to do this till 2025, but it's been moved forward, so now they only have one year to say what they'll have even less time to manage. Current plans would mean countries would keep to the 1.5 degrees Celsius max rise by accidentally going to 2.4 degrees Celsius, destroying all life on Earth and then immediately reducing emissions because no one's going to be around to make them. Hopefully they'll find something a little bit better than that. There is to be an acceleration of phasing down of unabated, which means it's got nothing capturing its carbon, unabated coal power and inefficient fossil fuel subsidies. So it's not completely stopping digging up old stuff, just sort of the worst of the old stuff that you might want to burn. It was phase-out use in the text, but now it's just phase-down because India asked really nicely and everyone went, yeah, okay, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Oh, oh yeah. Everyone agreed in the pact that there is alarm and utmost concern over the fast pace the world is heating up, and then they all shook hands and went for lunch or something. The final agreement also contains regret that wealthy nations didn't provide $100 billion to climate-impacted poorer nations by 2020 as previously pledged, and now they're being asked to do it urgently, which means by 2025. I've seen stronger deadlines on student newspapers. Developed nations have agreed to double what they previously pledged, though, which means it'll still be at least five times lower than what's actually needed. Still, it's the thought that counts, right? A number of developing nations have asked that there should also be financial assistance given to deal with the loss and damage caused by climate change, but the US and EU said no, and then they'll presumably also complain when the refugee crisis is full of people escaping those areas. There are calls to curb methane by 2030, which obviously goes against having a plant-based diet. Sorry, it's just... It's impossible not to do it every single time. But also, methane is a terrible greenhouse gas caused by animal farming and fossil fuel burning, and 100 countries signed to cut it by 30%. In a separate deal with the US, China agreed to cut their methane emissions too, because they need special measures for it, because it's so potent. No, I, I can't do it without laughing. Look, you have to find joy in this somewhere, right? There was also some special text about the uh, role that indigenous people, local communities, children and local governments play in tackling the climate crisis, you know, just so the blame can be passed to them when it goes wrong. And all the countries that signed agreed full transparency on just how they're getting on with their targets and to provide updates every two years. Great, except all of that's just a pledge. And now it's kind of just up to their own sense of morality and keenness to not let the planet die as to whether they do any of it or not. If so, things could indeed turn around. We could have a future in which we don't have to be swimming all of the time and really practising our doggy paddle. And if they don't, hey, on the plus side, at least some parts of the world will cut down their energy used when making CGI effects for disaster films as they'll just be able to film out of the window instead. And now, back to Matthew. But is it, would, it, would it be better for, you know, we've got all these areas that don't have a parish council whatsoever. Do you, I mean... Is it something that is necessary for? Because obviously, there. How? How? I don't know how big the area that that uh, Barwell is. How? How many people? How? What's the sort of population size that you deal with? So it's round about. Um, uh, well, it's round about nine thousand. Uh, about nine thousand in total, and I think I think 
8,000 some odd voting um, adults, you know. Um, and, and, and that was why. Um, so, so my news th- this, this week that I'm really happy about was that um, I got elected to what's called the Larger Councils Committee of NALC, which is the National Association of Local Councils, um, which is like the umbrella governing body of, of representative body of, of the 10,000 parish and town councils uh, across England. And what the Larger Councils Committee does is represent the bigger parish and town councils um and so um i had to check with my clerk that we had enough electors for me to be able to apply to to be on that and and thankfully we did so um so i'm really looking forward to from uh, january um being able to to represent those larger parish and town councils at a national level yeah, congrats on uh, on being elected. Yeah. That sounds fascinating. Um, but that's what I was going to ask: is your area is obviously so you say nine thousand odd people. Um, you know, is it would it be good for us to have, kind of have parish councils across the whole country, or does it only suit sort of smaller village areas of that amount? I mean, there's a bit of me that you know, in in London, I'm I'm in Barnet. Barnet's massive. We've only got like we've got sort of different district councils, but we've only overall only got one council. And you do sort of wonder would would it be better even for cities to have kind of small parish councils over smaller areas and and uh you know is it how do you how do you feel that uh parish councils should be rolled out i think there's an i think there's an argument for that certainly i mean it's interesting that although so you know so we're a a village bar well albeit you know a a a big village well i think there's an argument that we should be a town actually but we're not at the moment we're a village um and then we've got earl shilton which is next to us which is a town and they have a town council but but hinkley which is like the main town of, of hinkley and bosworth um only has the the borough council um and they have a committee of the borough council called the hinkley area committee um which kind of acts as their parish council um which which, which um, makes me think well why don't they just have a parish council for that bigger town um and i certainly think you know so obviously my nearest city is is leicester um and i certainly think that you know leicester has within it very different um parts of the city very different communities um and you know i think it would empower those um local communities to have um i don't know what you'd call it though i suppose it might have to have a different name, but it, you know, in in some places, um, what is in effect a, a parish or town council are actually called community councils, which I think actually is a, you know is a nice name. So maybe they maybe um, for cities and and bigger towns, they could have some community councils, um, and uh, I think I think that would be really really. But I certainly think there's an argument for that. But I think what I'd want to see first is proper devolution to those parish and town councils that there already are. Right. So just uh, allowing a bit more power to to make kind of some decisions to to the ones that already exist before we start rolling out as a, a nationwide scheme. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and I think especially I mean, there's an argument um, going on here in Leicestershire about whether Leicestershire should become unitary. Um, I personally, you know, I'm not massively in favour of unitary councils. I, I think district councils have an important role to play. And again, are that much closer to the communities that they serve. But if our area was to become um, a unitary, if that was to be, you know, forced through or whatever, or if there was to be a referendum and people agreed that um, Leicestershire should go unitary, then I think part of that um, allowing that would have to be that, OK, you're going to abolish the district and borough councils that surely must mean more powers 
for the county's parish and town councils. You know, you, you can't have a situation that there is only this unitary authority miles away from most people with councillors that no one ever sees or hears from. Um, so I think, you know, I mean, I hope that we keep the different tiers of local government, but if we don't in our area, um, I think that, you know, we we would then have to have properly empowered and properly budgeted parish and town councils and that there should be serious devolution of powers down to, down to our level. Because I think, you know... I, I mean, I hate to use the, the kind of political term power grab, but you, you can't help but think that it would be that if, if, um, and you know, in Leicestershire, in most of the county, we pretty much are a one party state, and I probably don't need to say what party that is. Um, and, and if they're only wanting to create a unitary council to, to put more power in their own hands, you know, it's a little bit grubby in that sense. But if they, if the, if they were to do that, then I think there would have to be more devolution to parish and town councils. Yeah, I, want, I wanted to ask, you know, in, in your sort of, uh, obvious, obviously you can't uh, divulge um, local residents' kind of <laughs> complaints or, <laughs> you know, there's that, a confidential But You know, I, I wonder if there are, you know, what sort of concerns generally do your residents have? I'm guessing they're quite localised. Are there some that are very specific to Barwell that wouldn't be able to be dealt with by a unitary council? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think it would be difficult for, for some of the concerns that we have to be dealt with by a unitary council, because, I mean, obviously, there would be representatives, as there are with the county council now, there would be representatives from our village being elected to that unitary council. So, you know, obviously, you, you'd hope that they would be the main ones dealing with any really local issues. But, you know, I, I think to have a unitary council that would then have to be dealing with, you know, if if there was, I mean, if there was literally then no districts or no parish council, um, then they would be having to run the, the local public toilets and they would be having to sort out the local parks. And, you know, uh, I just think it would be a bit ridiculous, you know. Um, uh, and I know some people think, oh, well, there were too many layers of, layers of government. Um, I just don't, agree with that view i think they all have different things to do um now do i think that whatever happens there should be some more powers for parish and town council yes i clearly do think that um but um but i also think as well and this isn't just parish and town councils but but but, but all levels including you know central government i mean look at what we've been seeing with some mps over the over the past while um is that we need in a lot of cases um, don't quite know how to put it. Sometimes, at least, a better kind of level degree of people standing for for, for, for those councils. I mean, you know, I mentioned to you when I first contacted you about the Jackie Weaver thing, um, and you know that was one of the worst examples of a parish or town council. Um, and it was, it was, I must admit at the time, I actually, I was one of the few people who didn't actually find it funny originally because I thought this is reputationally, I thought it was so bad for parish and, uh, and town councils. I later came to see that actually, and speaking to folks at now, what, what it enabled them to be able to do was to then use, um, Jackie Weaver as the, as the kind of the, the same person in that circumstance um, to then put her out on the media, which they have done ever since talking about the positive things that parish and town councils do. So I came to realize that although that video in of itself was embarrassing, 
um, you know, it was one of the few times that that people even that the media even registered that there is such a thing as parish and town councils. Um, and so she was able to to then go on lots of media and talk about the the good work that most parish and town councils do. Now, is there bad behaviour at some parish and town council meetings? Yes, there is. But so so there is in Parliament too. So you know, we in that sense, we're no different. Sure, but but you're also doing it on a voluntary basis, which makes it quite different. To sort of, were you in the Caribbean doing a second job at the same time? <laughs> Supposedly, right. you know, uh, supporting your elected, uh, you know, you know the, the the people that elected you. So it's it is different, and it must be frustrating as well. To you know, I think. I, I, you know, uh, you know, I think some people do conflate it all, you know, it's all government. It's all, it's all, uh, you know, uh, it's all politicians and, and that there's no sort of difference between the two, but it's a very different thing uh, on, on parish and, and uh, town councils or on, or even on borough councils at council level compared to MP level, isn't it? And I mean, it must be, must be frustrating that in a way it's considered a similar job of kind of politicians. Well, I must admit, I, I, um, and I even sometimes, very occasionally, say this when I'm on the doorsteps. If I meet someone that is just anti-politics, I personally think that is a lazy point of view, actually, mm. and 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 that what you're really saying is is that I don't want to even engage. I don't want to even think about the fact that actually, of course, then of course. Uh, politicians aren't all the same um you know even even you know i've met enough um kind of mps and albeit predominantly from my own party but i've met i've met some others from other parties too uh, and and indeed members of the lords to know that actually the vast majority of them go into politics for very good noble reasons um and you know want to work hard and want to represent their communities well are there examples who um perhaps that wasn't the driving motivation yeah of course there are are there examples where sadly you know after years and years in politics people go a bit off the rails and do things they that they shouldn't yes there's clearly examples of that too but uh, but you know most politicians at all levels go into it for the right reasons because they want to serve their local communities and yes they want to um you know they they have their ideological beliefs and their worldviews that they that they want to put forward um uh as well but certainly at parish level as you say i mean we get no remuneration whatsoever we you know we are volunteers we do do it for the for the love of um our areas and so i think that there is a kind of there is a kind of nobility in that, actually, that you don't get uh, uh, at any other level. But I have to say, maybe that's something that needs to be looked at as well. I mean, if, if you're if you're going to devolve more powers down and parish councils are going to become that bit much more important and serious and needed and necessary, maybe actually the, the time that we give as parish councillors should be recognised with, with with some kind of remuneration. That's that's an argument that um, wouldn't be easy to make to council taxpayers. It's tricky. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a there's a there's a balance, there, isn't it? Because it is 100% a, a job, and it would mean you wouldn't have to actually do a second job, uh, which is necessary <laughs> for all councillors <laughs> in this in this current argument that we're having about uh, MPs. Um, but it's yeah, it, but but I think I think you know it's it's tricky because I think it's. Um, I think you should, you know, it's, it's work and you're doing work and you're doing work for your community, but at the same time, it shows that you really want to be doing it and it's, it's important to you. So what a, what a tricky line to balance on. Um, but Matthew, I really appreciate you uh, getting in contact to come and talk to me on, on the show. And I, I, 
the last question really is that um, you know apart from yourself um, and of course uh, Barwell Council um, I wanted uh, where would you recommend that, that listeners go to for kind of information on you know if they're not aware of their local parish council you know for info on their on their council but also just becoming more informed about local politics and perhaps even getting involved I think the best um, people to direct them to is um, the, the slightly strangely acronymed NALC, um, which is the National Association of Local Councils. If you if you if you if you Google NALC or National Association of Local Councils, or even Parish and Town Councils, um, then then you'll find NALC's um, uh, website, and they they've um, they're you know they're they're a great organisation, um, very good at. Um, blowing the trumpet for, for parish and, and town councils. Um, and I really would encourage people, you know, if they care about their communities, if if they have, you know, some time to spare to, to, to go to a couple of meetings a, a, a month, and if they really want to, to get their hands dirty and get involved um, and, you know, go planting plants and, and, and go doing all sorts of other things and choosing Christmas trees and all sorts of things <laughs> that I've had to do. In fact, my village's Christmas tree arrived today. And uh, I'll tell you, let me, I'll, I'll end with this with you, Tin, and that the most controversial decision each year, honest to goodness, that, that I have to take as chair of the Parish Council's Events Committee is choosing the village's Christmas tree. Oh, my goodness. I, I can't begin to tell you that if you get it wrong... The good people of my village will tell you in no uncertain terms that they don't like that tree. Um, <laughs> and, so, and so I have to go to this, this place in Warwickshire um, and just look at all of these different Christmas, all these different, you know, Christmas trees. And in the end, they all just meld into one. And I have to try and find one that's not too big, not too small, <laughs> not too tall, not too, not too short. Looks enough like a Christmas tree. Oh, I can't. The, the stress. That um, wow. I get under, I can't even begin to tell you. But it ar- it arrived early this morning, and you know, I was I was in the village um, earlier on, and I'm happy with it. Brilliant, good. I'm very glad to hear it. I can't. I don't think I can handle that pressure. But that is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you see, that is a level of politics that people don't know about. The 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 getting the correct Christmas tree for the people, but so important. Well, thank you, Matthew. Thanks for your time. <laughs> Thanks to Matthew for that. Uh, You can find him at Matthew Holbert on Twitter, or if you're in Barwell in Leicestershire, you can find him on your parish council. NALC, N-A-L-C, can be found at nalc.gov.uk and on all them socials. And also, if you enjoyed this chat, do go back and listen to the chat from April this year with Rian E. Jones about how Preston Council localised wealth and used local government to really improve the city. Well worth the listen as well as a read of Rian's book, Paint Your Town Red, all about it too. Got the next few weeks of guests sorted, hopefully. But as always, what would you like to hear about and from whomst would thou like us to be doing the hearings from? Uh, Drop me a line because I'm always in need of lines for things like washing or not writing off the page. And then also tell me what chats I should be having at partlypoliticalbroadcast at (laughs) gmail.com. And that's that for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. How was it for you? Oh, really? Okay, I'll do less of that next time. Sorry. But otherwise, if you've enjoyed even a smidgen of this sort of like a radio show but less popular thing that happens, then please do suggest it to others who like hearing things. Maybe even donate to the patreon.com forward slash parpolbro to support more of these occurring. And if you fancy it, chuck a nice five-star review for it on the Apple Podcasts or all them places like that. Holler at ye Acast, my brother last sceptic and cat day. And this will be back next week when the government announces that all of HS2 has been scrapped. But to prove they aren't corrupt, the £96 billion funding will instead go to one of Michael Green's children to draw a picture of a train instead. Bye. This week's show is sponsored by my lucrative second job. 
when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.